while you're grabbing your Bibles, Romans chapter 12 is where we are. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Romans chapter 12. I have, I'd just like to underscore a couple of the announcements that were made earlier. Not that you all weren't paying very close attention. I know you were, but just want to underscore a couple. First of all, next Sunday after second service, we're going to be having baptisms. And if you are a born again believer, you've given your life to the Lord Jesus. He's your Lord and Savior, but you have never been baptized as an adult. I would like to invite you to stop by the Connect Center afterwards and sign up to be baptized. Perhaps some of you are like I, I was. I was baptized as an infant when we belonged to, a, I grew up in a denominational church that baptized infants. And, and the, 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 as Calvary Chapel surprised, we believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that, that baptism is a public declaration to the world that says, I am identifying myself personally with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And as an infant, God bless the decision my parents made with that, but I didn't have anything to do with that decision. And now as an adult, I later was baptized in as an adult because I, I wanted to tell the world, hey, I belong to Jesus. And that's, that's what baptism is all about. It's, it is, it's commanded. It's not part of salvation. It is the declaration that I have been saved. So if you haven't done that, I, I just encourage you to stop by and, and sign up after the service so we can get your information. It's next Sunday after second service. It'll be outside. And again, I know it's really cold out, but the water's heated. So it's uh, no problem there. Also, ladies, I would like to give a personal invitation for you guys to come out on Friday night at 6.30 uh, for the Dessert Fellowship. Uh, it's been several weeks um, that my wife has really had a, a message that the Lord has been giving her. And it's, it's been actually over quite a period of time, but just the last several weeks. And I've been talking with her about this and praying with her about it. And I know you ladies will be blessed. So please come out this Friday night, 6.30. If you need child care, you, we, we'll have that provided, but we need to know how many how many watchers to have over the kids. So if you would sign up at the Connect Center and let us know that you're bringing your kids Friday night, we can make sure we have enough child care workers to take care of that. So, all right, Romans chapter 12 is where we are. Again, as we continue our, our study through, through the book of Romans, we've mentioned that when we reach chapter 12, we've kind of reached a pivotal point in the letter. Paul, for 11 chapters, the first 11 chapters, talks to us about our desperate need, every one of us, for salvation. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. Outlined very clearly that Jesus is that Savior and the only Savior, the only way. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But when we come to him, we come to the Father through him, we, are, we get this amazing gift, eternal life. It, the Bible, as we've seen in Romans, we are declared righteous before God. That's what justification means. And through 11 chapters, talking through all of that, but now when we get to chapter 12, therefore is what it starts with, because of that, and we talk about now, because if we truly have accepted that amazing gift of eternal life, our sins completely forgiven, eternal life is ours in Christ Jesus, if we truly believe that, guys, our lives are going to be different. There's going to be something different about us. So we're going to, it, we can't go on continuing to live the way that we used to. Our lives will be markedly different than, than they were before and the way that the world is. And chapter 12 begins this great look at how our lives should be different. And we talked about right away is that we're, we're no longer to be conformed to the world. 
the, the, the world's way is no longer put into a mold that the world would have us be in, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, our lives to be a living sacrifice for him. We talked about spiritual gifts that are given to believers and how they are to be used for the body. But last week, I started into mentioning to you that I think the second half of chapter 12 Paul really zeroes in on what should define us as Christians, and that is love. And not just love like we have for, for pizza and you know, all, the, all sorts of other things, but agape love. The love that, that the, doesn't make sense to the world. The love that is selfless. The love that is unconditional. The love that, quite frankly, is God. God is love, is agape love. The love that he demonstrated to us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And the love that he enables us to have to one another and to the world around us. We talked last week that if you want to see love defined, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's defined for us there, agape love. But I believe if you want to see love outlined, we're looking at it in Romans chapter 12. Last week, we started in, in looking in that, and we talked about the fact that love must be genuine. We looked at love's sincerity. It must be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy speaks of that, that idea that you wear a mask on the outside portraying something to the world that's very different than what is in your heart. And love can't be that. It must be sincere. It must be genuine. We looked at love's humility. That as born again believers, that it's that really, if we want to be in competition at all, we need to be competing against one another to outdo each other in showing one another honor, placing one another's needs above our own. We looked at love's intensity, that we are to be on fire for the Lord, serving him, filled with the Holy Spirit, not lukewarm, not just taking this as kind of floating along, but on fire for the Lord. We looked at love's tenacity because we're going to face persecution. We're going to face difficulties. We're going to face trials in our life, and we need to persevere in those. We looked at love's generosity, that we are to find out and understand the needs of one another and be actively involved in taking care of those needs. Not just financially, but emotionally and spiritually and all of the needs with one another. And also showing, showing generosity, showing hospitality even to strangers as they might come in. And we looked at all of those aspects and we left off last week in verse 13. We're going to pick up today in verse 14 if you'd follow along with me. And we're going to look at love's economy. Love's economy beginning in verse 14. Notice Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never, how often? Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never, how often? Never. Never. Take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We look at love's economy, how, how things transpire, give and take in, in this, this love relationship and this love that we are to have. And notice right away, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. 
bless and do not curse. Those that would come against you, those that would seek to do you harm. Now, we could probably all agree that as Christians that we should not be cursing them. But guys, it's a whole different ballgame when we say bless them, right? Bless those who come against me, who speak evil of me, who try to cut me down, who try to do away with me, who try to bless them. And when we understand what the Bible speaks of, when it speaks of blessing and cursing, who's the only one who can truly bless? God, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So what Paul is telling us is that we are to go to God and ask God to pour out his favor on those who would come against us and persecute us. That's what Paul is telling us. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's not an easy thing. In, in my flesh, I can more relate to, to James and John, Jesus' disciples. In Luke chapter 9, it tells us that Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, and they were going to be passing through a Samaritan village. And so Jesus told James and John to go on up ahead and kind of make preparation as they're going, and they go on up, and they get to this certain village, and the people in the village says, you're not welcome here. You guys are Jews, you're on your way to Jerusalem, you are not welcome in the city. And you know what James and John did? They went back to Jesus and they said, hey Jesus, they won't let us go. Do you want us to call down a curse on them? Can we call down fire and brimstone on them? Come on, just say the word. And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. I didn't come to destroy man. I came to save man. And it's interesting when we look at the life of John He and his brother James, Jesus, nicknamed them the sons of thunder. John went from being a son of thunder to the one that we call the apostle of love. And he did that by spending time with Jesus. He he had his life and his mind and his actions and his attitude totally transformed and changed by listening to what Jesus had to say, watching how Jesus lived his life and surrendering his life to his risen Lord and King. Would you turn with me, keep your finger here, because we're going to go back and forth a little bit between Romans 12 and Matthew chapter 5. Because I have no, no doubt that, that Paul had the words of Jesus in mind when he's even penning this and when he's dictating this in Romans chapter 12. Romans, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this as part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Jesus saying here again, there was an old old law. It was given both in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. The law of God given through Moses to the people. And it did say an eye for an eye. But God gave that law to, through Moses to man for the court system, for the, for the governmental structure, if you would. 
It was meant for, to be civilly distributed, not personally. As a matter of fact, the, the, law was, the purpose behind the law was to show mercy. And you might say, mercy, eye for an eye. Yeah, the, the point was, in our flesh, when I say, you poke me in the eye, I'm going to poke you back in the eye, I'm going to kick you in the shin, I'm going to pop you. <laughs> the law was given to limit restitution. But man took it as an opportunity to legitimize retaliation. Eye for an eye, cool, I can take that in and do that myself. But Jesus is saying, you know what? You've heard that said. That's how it's been taught to you. But that's not the heart of God. I say to you, and then he gives these unbelievable examples. When you think about it, somebody sues you and takes your shirt. And he says, you must be cold. You want my coat too? Take that as well. Someone who literally went through the whole process of, of bringing a lawsuit against to take your shirt. And obviously he's using some t- a hypothetical situation. But he says, if it goes even that far, give him your coat too. And then he hits really close to home when he speaks of that walk, go one mile. If somebody forces you to go one mile, go with them too. The Jewish people, he's talking to these Jewish people that are in the audience. And the, the, they were under the oppression of Rome. And the law was, the Roman law was that if a Roman soldier came up to you and he's got his backpack and all of his stuff and he tells you, carry this for me, you were required by law to take his stuff and carry it for one mile. You didn't have any choice in the matter. Now, you only had to carry it one mile. You could step it off and drop it 5,280 feet from where you started. But Jesus said, don't, don't drop it there. Turn to him and ask him if he's, keeping, if, he, if he's going to continue his journey. You'll continue to carry it for another mile. Now, those, those in and of themselves, difficult, no doubt. Again, understand, they're under the oppression of Rome. They were the, they were the enemy. They were the ones, and for that, that one, I mean, you could understand carrying your best friend's stuff for two miles, but a Roman soldier? That's what Jesus was saying. But I believe the, the bar is raised to its ultimate height by the first thing that Jesus says when he speaks of if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other as well. He's not talking about the physical pain that comes from a slap on the cheek. He's talking about the personal insult that it was. It was a backhanded slap, and what it was was absolutely demeaning, humiliating publicly if somebody were to slap you across the face like that that was an act to totally humiliate you in front of everyone and when Jesus says turn the other cheek he's not talking physically about turning the other cheek saying okay hit me here what he's saying is you leave yourself in a position where they could do it again leave yourself totally open to they them being able to do that again to you See, the problem, too, is when we think of that, we think, well, I only have two cheeks, so that's twice. <laughs> Do it again, buddy. Because <laughs> Peter asked him, how many times do I have to do that? Seven? Jesus said 70 times seven. See, it's, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone, verse 17 in our text, to anyone. That word that he uses then next, he says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. That word respect is the Greek word proneo, and it means to look ahead. It means to foresee. It means to look past the current offense 
and say, Lord, if I were to act like you do, if I were to respond with your heart instead of my flesh, what could you do with that? How could you use that for your glory? Am I, am I willing to, to put aside my own, my own pride so that you'd be glorified in this situation, Lord? Never pay back evil for evil, but give, basically, if I could paraphrase this, give God an opportunity to do something that everyone on looking would be blown away by. Because again, it flies in the face of what, of what the world would respond in there. Verse 18, he tells us, if possible, be at peace with all men. With all men. Back in Rome, or Matthew chapter 5, Jesus addresses this. Speaking, when he's speaking of all men, he's not just talking about Christians, but especially Christians, this needs to be played out. And here he speaks of a brother having something against you. Verse 23, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. As Christians, we're going through our day, we're praying, we're, we're, we're spending time with the Lord, or even just as we're moving through, and God places someone on our heart, especially another brother, and it says that if they have something against you, not if you have something against them, but if they have something against you, God brings that to your heart. He says, make it your number one priority to get that taken care of. As much as it has to do with you, be at peace with all men. Now, it's not a command to be at peace with all men. That's, that's, that's an impossibility. Peace requires both parties to be willing to be at peace with one another. That's, quite frankly, that is why Middle East peace is a pipe dream. Because both have to be willing to be at peace. As much as Israel would love to have peace, their enemies desire nothing but their annihilation. So I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. Anyway, <laughs> as much as it has to do with you, Christian, be at peace with all men. And I challenge you, because I believe that this is what Paul's heart and desire and the Lord's heart is in, within this, is can you honestly say, when it comes to that person or that situation that the Lord might bring to your mind, and even right now, can you honestly say that you could stand before God in this moment and say, God, I did everything that I could. If you've convinced yourself of that, I encourage you today to spend some time alone with the Lord. And it might be true. There, it is possible that you've done everything that you can. Don't stop praying. But if possible, so much as it has to do with you, be at peace with all men. Notice verse 19. Never take your own revenge. Again, never. No there's not an example of when you can. There's not, you're not the exclusion to the rule. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, at first reading of that, and I can tell you how I used to say it, I used to think of that, it says, okay, never take your own vengeance because there's no way I gotta let God do his part because there's no way I could hurt him as bad as he could. So get him, God. But that's not God's heart either. And I would, even again, here's another, another challenge. Take this, take this with you. Again, 
When you go before God, how would you say these, this statement? Get him, God. Would it be with a heart of retaliation and retribution? Get him, God, and get him good because, man, they burned me and it hurt. Get him. Or is it with a heart of redemption and restoration where it's like, God, get him. Would you go and pursue them with the same love that you pursued me with? Would you go and, and, and chase them down? Would you restore them to whatever, whatever is broken in their life? Would you repair it? Would you, would, you, would you give back the years that the locusts have eaten? Would you, would you restore our relationship with one another and do whatever that means, including make me the doormat if I need to be? Our primary concern always as Christians, again, this is our call, agape love, is for others. And we talked about this last week. I mean, that's, that's a difficult thing. That is, that is the, that's, this is a difficult section for us to go through because it's calling on us to do something that goes very contrary to our flesh, to our nature that wants to defend, that wants to stand up, that wants to say again, what about me? But Jesus is saying, trust me. Let, let me work through you. And if we allow, again, turning the other cheek, doing these things, allowing God to do what only God can do, we can see miracles take place. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, the Lord's bondservant, that is us, those redeemed by his blood, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Notice, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So often, so often, guys, our focus is on winning an argument instead of winning a soul, instead of repairing. We want to make sure everybody knows I'm right. leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Verse 20, again, as he's continuing, as he's speaking here to us, he, he's talking now, he says, if your enemy, and he's quoting again now from Proverbs chapter 25, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. First of all, and I had somebody come up and ask me after, after first service, what does this mean? Because we have somebody who is trying to steal from us and, and all of this kind of stuff. What is it in that situation? There, this is not a, a command to just be totally passive in, in every situation. This is, there is, there is, we do have a right to, to protect ourselves physically. I mean, if, if a burglar breaks into your house and starts stealing your stuff, don't say, hey, if you get hungry, there's food in the fridge. That's not what this is saying. Obviously, we know that this is speaking of our heart and those that would come against us in, in, in those types of ways. And again, Jesus addresses this back in Matthew chapter 5. He says in verse 43, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For you, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Those that would seek to do you you harm, those that would come against you, those that would speak against you, those that would try to embarrass, humiliate, whatever it might be. Jesus said, love them. He again addresses a command that, that was taken and added to in this particular situation, not just twisted, but completely added to. The command, the law came in Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's a command that God gave through Moses to the people. But again, in their flesh, in their humanity, they're thinking, okay, love my neighbor as myself. All right, so that I have to identify my neighbor because I certainly don't want to do that to anybody else than I have to. So let's try to fit that into a little box. Who's my neighbor? Totally missing the point. Also, they added to it, well, then if I only have to love this person, that must mean that I can also hate my, my enemy. And Jesus said, well, that's maybe what you heard, but that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that you actually love everyone. That you would even love your enemies, those, again, seeking to do you harm, and, and that you would pray for them. Again, like we talked at the beginning, that you'd go before God and say, God, would you pour out, would you pour out your blessing on them? Would you grant them favor? Would you bless them? <laughs> and he doesn't need suggestions as to how. Let Leave that. Say, God, you know, what, you know what's needed most in their life and in their situation. Would you give them that? You know, it's awful hard to hold grudges and to hate someone that you're praying for every day. And by the way, don't do it out of obligation or duty. Do it out of a burden. And if you don't have that burden, pray for the burden. That they would be, again, that their, their relationship with the Lord would be reconciled if, if it's broken, that it could be restored, that your relationship could be restored. There's a good chance some godly person was praying for you regularly when you weren't so lovable. And the goal to heap burning coals on their head, get them, God. Again, understanding what that's meaning. There's, there's a lot of variations when you read commentaries to the specifics of what is meant there, but all agree that bottom line is what we're, we're hoping to get from this. The goal of all of this is that they would be brought to a place of humility and repentance by witnessing our humility and willingness to, to not strike back, to not fight back, to even when they come against us to seek to bless them to where they would be totally disarmed, would have no... No way of, of defending that, to continue on with that, that they, would, they too would just be overcome by it and be drawn to repentance and humility on their own. Proverbs 25, 21 and 22 actually adds the words, and the Lord will reward you. 
heap burning coals on their head, bring them to a point of, of humility, but the Lord will reward you. And I believe that the Lord rewards us in those situations by destroying our enemies, by making them our friends, by restoring the relationships that were damaged. One last thought on this. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, he says, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. I have to tell you, I read that and it challenges me right to my core. Am I willing to become the scum of the world? The dregs of, of, of all things? Just so God could reach someone else? Just so God could do his work? Am I willing to be used that way by God? He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you, to teach you, to instruct you as my beloved children. And not just by word, by deed, and by action. Paul lived it out. We see love's economy. It doesn't, it doesn't line up with the world's way of responding to things as it comes to us. But that's what we're called to do as Christians. Now, I'm sure... Paying close attention, you noticed that I skipped over verses 15 and 16 because I want to address that under a different heading, if you would, and that's, that's love's community, kind of bringing it in a little, zeroing in a little bit closer, whereas these other verses we've been looking at can be looked at in how we deal with the outside world as well as the body of Christ. But here, let's, let's look at zeroing in on, on dealing with one another as believers. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. The community of believers. And, and I love verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I read it th this this week. I, I love this. It says, shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half sorrow. And don't you know that to be true? As, as believers, as a community, as the family of God, when we have something to share with one another that we can rejoice in, and let's just say you get together with a handful of, of believers with friends and you share something that God did and you rejoice together, how that just multiplies the joy in your own heart. But also when you come together as, as, as believers and, and, and there's something that's heavy, perhaps you've lost, lost a loved one or you're, you're going through a difficult thing in your marriage or a job-related thing or whatever, and you come together and you share that together, the sorrow, the, 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 the mourning, if you would, on that, that it's lightened because we share that together. It's a beautiful picture of, of how the community works but I think it's important that we don't ignore the fact that this is placed between verses 14 and 17. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. If we look at it in context and we say rejoice with those who rejoice, can you rejoice with someone who is celebrating something that came at your expense? Somebody else is being honored and recognized for something that you wanted to be honored and recognized for? 
Can you come alongside and sincerely rejoice with them? Or is there something inside of you that is resenting it? That's something we need to deal with in our hearts. We are called to rejoice with those who rejoice, regardless of if it comes at my expense. Regardless of it's something that I've been praying, God, would you use me in that? Would you do this for me? Would you do, and, and, and somebody else seems to get that. We are to rejoice with them. Weep with those who weep. Can we do that when it's someone who has hurt us deeply that is now hurting? Can we weep alongside them? Or can we put on the hypocritical mask that on the outside says, oh, I'm so sorry, but on the inside says, you deserve it. This is what we're called to do is to have the heart of the Lord. The Lord is the one who said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as he was being nailed to the cross. Verse 16 says that we are to be of the same mind toward one another. It's not saying that we are to think the same way about all things all the time. Guys, that's impossible. But we are called to have the same mind toward one another. And just to remove any doubt, it's not your mind we're talking about. Because that's our tendency, right? I have no problem. We are going to get along just fine as long as you agree with me. We're talking about the mind of Christ, the unity of the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so that there be no division in the body. This is the heart of Christ, no division in the body, but notice that the members may have the same care for one another. No division, the way that that happens is by having the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. If one member suffers, all suffer. One rejoices, all rejoice. Paul, interesting, as we've commented several times studying through the book of Romans, Paul had never visited Rome when he wrote this letter. He would years later, as a matter of fact, as a prisoner. And while he was a prisoner in Rome, he wrote the prison epistles, we call them. One of them is a letter back to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians that we have. And he had gotten wind of a dispute that was taking place between two people within the church in Philippi. And I'm just going to read it for you. You can jot this down and look it up yourselves later. It's in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose, name, whose names are in the book of life. Paul calls them out. Two, two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche. They're having a dispute. These are two Christian women. These are two Christian women who were fellow workers together alongside one another, alongside Paul, that have somehow now their relationship has, has severed. And it's not a doctrinal issue. 
One or both of them have gotten their feelings hurt. One or both of them have, happened, have had something take place and it has caused a, a division there. And the body is feeling it because when one part of the body hurts, the rest hurts. Now I checked, I pulled it up on my CC Surprise and we do not have a Euodia or a Syntyche <laughs> as members of our church. But might I suggest that we do have a Euomia And a so touchy. <laughs> you owe me a certain look. You owe me a certain response to, to what I say or what I do. You owe me because I am who I am. And a so touchy. <laughs> you didn't look at me that way and or what what you know and whatever it might be. And, and because of that, Feelings get hurt and separation take place. And this isn't just women. Guys, we do it the same way. Things that, that, that really should not be the issue, should not be a problem that needs to come together. It needs to get worked out. I, I love this. He deals with this in two verses. Notice he does not say, get them together, let them both explain their sides, and then you determine what. He doesn't say anything like that. Basically, what he's saying is, ladies, get together, work it out, and move on. There's work to be done. And he calls on the brothers and sisters in the church to help. Come alongside. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Verse 18 again, as much as it has to do with you, be at peace with all men. As much as it has to do with you. Guys, Here's the truth of the matter, and it tells us, he says it in here, be in, live in harmony in the Lord. When it comes to Christians, as born-again believers, both of us can't stand before God and say, I've done everything I can, and really have done everything we can, and still be at odds together. That can't happen. Two people who are right with God are going to be right with each other. And that goes... <laughs> That goes especially true, husbands and wives. Every, every counseling appointment, everything that we go through, when it comes to that, guys, if we are both right as husband and wife with the Lord, we're going to be right with each other. Now, please hear me. That does not mean that, again, we're going to agree on everything. There will still be moments of intense fellowship. It's still going to happen. <laughs> but... We're going to be right with each other because we're right with the Lord. We're going to allow the Lord to dictate. We're going to allow the Lord to work. We're going to allow the Lord to heal. And we're going to have to put some things down and move on. That's what he is calling them to do. And I think, again, the key is kind of wedged right in here. He says, don't be haughty in mind. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Chapter 12, verse 3, we looked at that already. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. This must be an issue. He's addressing it three different ways in just one chapter. And before you go off thinking, well, it is an issue, not mine, but it is an issue. I think, again, going back to that verse that we are to have the same care for one another, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Put yourself in their position. Place yourself, the one that you're having an issue with, put yourself in their shoes. What would you want 
you to do if you were them? And I know what you're thinking. So strike this off right now. If I was them, I'd realize it was my fault and I'd come and apologize to me. (laughs) Cross that off right now. (laughs) Let God do that work that only he can do. When When we place ourselves at his disposal in this, guys, the biggest barrier to unity is pride. And we all have to put it to death daily. How do you put it to death? By practicing what it tells us to do. I think, and again, when we put what it says here in context, if we just read it, associate with the lowly, that could could mean that what it it would speak to us is that we find those that are less fortunate and and don't ignore them, go, go to them. But if we read it in in context, as it tells us here, don't just, don't just, let's read verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. When we put that in context and in the original Greek, it supports this, that he's not talking about an individual that you are supposed to associate with. It's an attitude that you are supposed to associate with. A lowly attitude. Humble yourself. And again, we have the greatest example of that when Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, washed the disciples' feet, including Judas's. Loves community. Loves economy. Lastly, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Loves victory. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome, it comes from the Greek word Nike, which means victory. The Greek word is nikau, overcome, conquer, prevail. Revelation 12 verse 11 says, we overcome, we nikau by the blood of the lamb. The ultimate example of overcoming evil with good. The blood of the lamb. The blood of the spotless lamb. The perfect lamb of God. The blood of Jesus shed for you and I. Overcoming the evil of our sin that we, that we so, so, so deliberately displayed. That he displayed his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, when we wanted nothing to do with him, he died for us. Again, the ultimate Example and display of overcoming evil with good. We are to overcome by the blood of the lamb, but it also says by the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony. Jesus said as Christians that we are to be his witnesses in all of the world. And a witness needs a testimony. And our testimony as born again believers. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was a helpless, hopeless sinner. But because of Jesus, but God, the blood of Jesus washes me clean, has set me free. He who knew no sin became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. That's my testimony. That's your testimony as born-again believers. But it has to go beyond verbal. As chapter 12, again, point after point after point after point outlines for us, guys, our lives need to be a living witness. Our lives need to be a living testimony. 
And it wraps it up here in verse 21. It's pretty simple, but nobody said it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, what we're talking about today might be the most difficult part. But it's not optional. It's what we're called to do. And it's this, this type of life lived out that stands in greatest contrast to what the world responds to. 1 Peter chapter 2, last verse as we close. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. None of us can say that. None of us could say we're sinless. None of us could say there's no deceit in my mouth, but he could. Being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. Dying to sin living to righteousness, overcoming evil with good. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's our testimony. If you're here today and you have never made Jesus Lord of your life, you've never trusted in his finished work on the cross for you to pay the sin debt that you have, I encourage you today, give your life to Jesus. Follow after him. Jesus, the son of God, stepped off his throne in heaven and came and lived a perfect, sinless life. He became one of us. He lived the life that you and I are supposed to and don't. (laughs) And then he gave that life on the cross in exchange for you and I. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I invite you today, if you've never done it, today follow him. Respond to the Holy Spirit moving on your heart. But for the rest of us as born-again believers... Let's take this. Let's own this. I know this isn't easy. Isn't easy to hear. (laughs) One guy last night said, I'm leaving right now and I'm going to go file formal charges of assault and battery after listening to this message. (laughs) Because it beat him up so bad. But praise the Lord. (laughs) Respond. Don't ignore it. If God has placed someone on your heart today, don't ignore that. Make it right. If that means turning the other cheek, opening yourself up to being humiliated again, to being put down again, to whatever again, your king knows exactly how you feel. He'll give you the grace you need. He'll give you the peace and the love that you need if you allow him to love through you. It's not something you can generate on your own. Again, talking with someone after the first service says, I I try and I try and I can't love like that. You're right, you can't. Quit trying. Let Jesus love through you. It's way bigger than you. It's way bigger than me. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we humbly come before you again today, and we just thank you and we praise you for who you are. As we just again read, we... We are forever indebted to you because you bore our sin, all of it, in your body on the cross. You took it all. You took the wrath that was due us. You took the punishment that was due us for every thought, every action, every word. 
that is not pleasing to you, that has been selfish, that has been self-centered, you took all of that. And in exchange, you clothe us in your righteousness. Lord, our desire is to walk in a manner worthy of that gift. Our desire is to live a life that reflects the garment that you have put on us of righteousness. And Lord, it's hard. It's hard to, to forgive like you forgave us. It's hard not to not to retaliate. It's hard to, it's hard to ask that you would bless them. But God, meet us right where we are, right here, right now. As we confess our struggle with this, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? As we, as we lean on you completely, Lord, would you love them through us? And Lord, we pray that you would get them, that you'd get them and you'd draw them back. You'd restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Lord, I pray for relationships to be restored today. I pray for your body to be mended today. Have your way, God. You are perfect. You are holy. You are awesome. You are good. Have your way in us, Lord.